This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. This is the next, uh, this upcoming week, if you would stay tuned uh, to our social media, we're, we're going to do some announcements about how we're, uh, our plans for the future, how we're coming back, what that's going to look like. So if you'll stay tuned to that, I won't take the time to do it today, but we'll talk about that uh, in the future. Uh, in uh, World War II, there was a, a B-17 bombing run, last part of the war, a lot of bombing that took place in Germany. And a bomber flew over uh, a certain city in, in Germany, and they caught a lot of anti-aircraft flak, and they also caught a 20 millimeter shell right in their gas tank. But instead of blowing up, it didn't. It, it usually that's enough to blow that B-17 right out of the sky, but it didn't do it. And when they landed, the, the pilot, Went to, uh, went to his people and said, hey, listen, if, if I could have that shell as a souvenir, 20 minutes, because that was like a miracle. And they said, well, it wasn't just one shell, it was 11 shells that hit your gas tank. And not one of them exploded. And so they were thinking, you know, the Red Sea just parted here. What in the world is going on? And they sent it to uh, the ordinance people. And when the ordinance people were trying to defuse or, 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 or take the explosives out, they opened these shells up, there were no explosive in there. They were clean as a whistle and just as harmless. And so they asked for uh, intelligence to come in because in one of the shells was a rolled up note and it was written in Czech. And they finally found someone on the base who could, who could read Czech and the note said this, this is all we can do for you for now. So the Germans had, had taken a lot of Czech Jews especially and had them working in their munitions plant. And so right in the middle of that munitions plant, they packed empty shells. And it was those empty shells that spared a B-17 bomber. There's always a sense of, in us of resistance that we do not want to be dictated to by the enemy. And even though these, these individuals were prisoners, and forced to work, there was still some resistance in them that said, I am not going to take this lying down. We've been doing a series, started a series last week called The Resistance. And today I want to talk about purpose built for winning and talk about how that plays in with resistance in your life and my life. I, I think as we look around our, our environment, what we're, what we're living in now, and we're starting to change our perspectives, things are starting to, to shift for us. And we're having to look at things differently. One of the ways we can tell that people are doing that, not just we're doing this, a lot of people are doing this. In fact, they have noticed that gun sales in America have gone crazy. And in June alone, gun sales from 2020 to 2019, month to month, were up 145%. They sold 2.4 million guns, which tells us that there's a lot of people, I talked to a law enforcement agent the other day, he said, it's a lot of new gun owners. In other words, there's a lot of people out there who are concerned or they're fearful, or they've simply become aware that the environment has changed and they're doing what they can about it. Now, what do we do as Christians? This is not a pro or anti-gun message, but what do we do as, as believers? Well, I think as believers, one of the things we have to do is, is we can't be in denial about the fact that things have shifted in America. And I know some people have said, you know, this whole COVID-19 is a hoax. <laughs> You've got the wrong guy here. I'm sorry, that hoax just landed in my house and it is not a hoax. But then you also have 
I've noticed a lot of Christians who are defiant, they're angry. And I understand, some, especially for some of us who are more mature, we have seen some of the things that we used to take for granted, some of the values that we've taken for granted, absolutely be destroyed or, or disrailed against. And, and, and it can make people angry. But can I help you with this? Being denial is not going to help, but being defiant is not going to help. Angry Christianity is not a good optic. We've, we've got to take a different approach, guys, because we still have a bigger role, a bigger mission, a bigger purpose. We still have to reach people. And so we really need to be mindful on a different level, on, on a higher level about what's going on. We can see what's going on, but then we need to really begin to see what's going on beyond that. And First Peter is writing to the church. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood, brotherhood in the world. So he's, he's talking about the fact that there's always a spiritual impact. Now, I know sometimes people think, you know, I'm not into the spiritual thing. I mean, that's, I realize that's a church thing. That's kind of a Sunday thing. No, actually, no, it's not. It's not a church thing or a Sunday thing. He didn't say be aware on Sunday. He said, be aware because we have an, be alert, be sober, be clear thinking. And the idea is that we don't just live in a natural world. We live in a spiritual world. And even though we can't see it and feel it and touch it, it's very much real. It was the spirit that created the natural. And if you will, it's a fifth dimension. It's a dimension beyond what we can see and feel and touch, and it's very much real. And so when, the, when, when Peter was writing and he said, be alert and be vigilant, he, he, he wasn't just saying to, to preachers. This only applies to preachers or church staff or someone who is spiritual. It's telling us that we live and we have always lived in a spiritual condition in which there is conflict. But what we're seeing now is we're seeing how it's been impacted and we're starting to see it in our natural world even to a greater extent. So the idea is we have to be alert, we have to be on guard, and we have to understand that we have to resist. And we resist in our, he said, resist in our faith. So in other words, what we believe is so important at this time because what we believe enables us than to resist and to stay with what we believe instead of buying into the things that aren't true. You know, I, I've, I've used this illustration before, but it's, it's, it's common. But I, I ask, sometimes I've even asked uh, the crowd, especially on a Wednesday night, I said, how many of you have ever been driving over a big tall bridge and all of a sudden the thought came, drive off the bridge? And you'd be surprised how many people went, but I said, these are thoughts we know how to resist. I know how to resist a thought where if I'm in a convenience store and the clerk leaves the cash register open, I know how to resist the thought of reaching in there and grabbing all that money, which I could use to buy stuff. No, no, that's a crazy thought. And we resist that. We go, no, no, that's not who we are. But here's the thing. We have to learn to resist not just the crazy thoughts, but to resist the subtle thoughts, the lies, the thoughts that would tell you that you could never be forgiven, that it's always going to be this way, the thoughts of fear and dread. And we'll talk about that in just a, just a moment. But we have to learn to resist that by what we believe. Now, when Peter wrote this, he wrote this to a special group of people. 
he said, here, here are the people that need to resist. And I got good news for you. The special group of people is you, it's me. Look what he says here at 1 Peter. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, there's another translation I want you to see. I believe it's the Weiss translation. It says, but you are, a, look at this, a chosen race, a priesthood of kingly lineage, a holy nation, a people belonging especially to God, that you may make known the perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Man, that's, now that's, that, that's, that opens up some stuff. He says, you are, he's talking not to preachers and staff members. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. If you're in Christ, in fact, it's interesting that he says you're a chosen. A few other translations say the same thing, a chosen race, which is obviously a race that's not con constrained by color. It's a spiritual race. He said, you're a, a kingly, you're a priesthood of kingly lineage. And I like that. He said, you're God's own special people. And that's good. But just think about this. If we're God's own special people, and we are, he bought us with the, with the precious blood of Jesus. An awesome price was paid for us. So if we're this priesthood, this kingly lineage, God's own special people, said then we have a special purpose as well. God's people, he didn't pay a price for us just to let us hang out down here until we go to heaven. There's a, there's a purpose behind it. And having a purpose behind it, it, it makes all the difference. Here's part of our purpose. Our part of our purpose is that we would show, not, that verse had the perfection, we would show the praises, in other words, that the goodness of God. Do you realize that you, your part of your purpose is to show God's goodness in your life to other people, people who, who don't know him? I read a story years ago of a, of a young little boy, about 10 years old, in a northern city on a cold winter day. And he was, he was staring in the window of a shoe store. This was written back in the 30s. He was, he was in the window of a, staring in the window of a shoe store, looking at the shoes, and he had no shoes on his feet. He was barefoot. It was cold. A very wealthy, well-dressed lady noticed him staring, and, and she took him, and with her gloved hand, she held her gloved hand out, and he put his hand in it, and she walked him into the, into the store. Now, the owner saw the, the, the little street urchin and was about to kick him out, but then saw the wealthy lady and backed off. And she sat him down and took her, her gloves off and in her nice dress, she washed his little dirty feet and then got him, dried him off, bought him some socks and then bought him a really nice pair of shoes. Put it on his feet and they began to, to walk out and as he was walking out, holding her hand and she said goodbye. He looked up at her and with the innocence of a child, he said, are you God's wife? It's a great story. And it's a story with meaning that here was somebody who showed the goodness of God to someone who didn't know. Do you realize that's our, our calling? That that's our purpose is to show the goodness of God, God's goodness, his mercy. I can tell you, you know, for Joy and I, whenever I hear about marriages who are troubled, Joy and I are a testimony of the goodness and mercy of God in our, in our marriage, I promise you. Because it was so bad at one time. And now we're a testimony that it can work. And 38 years later, it's still working. And she, she renews my contract every year. It's a good deal. 
But the idea is that we're here to show God's goodness and something beyond that. When we understand our purpose, then it gives us a position to resist. We're better positioned when we have a purpose about us. We're better positioned to, to resist. Let, 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 me, let me explain. Close to 28 years ago, Joy was diagnosed with acute chronic pancreatitis. It was severe. It was so severe they tried surgery. The surgery didn't work. And, and she really was in dire states. In fact, we were concerned that one of the attacks she would have could possibly prove to be fatal. Her father had just passed away. And just a, a couple of days later, Joy was laying on the couch. She couldn't get up. And Christina, our daughter, who was six years old at the time, sat down on the couch and she looked at her mom and she said, are you going to go to heaven too? And Joy, it, it caught Joy, it surprised her. And she, she looked at Christina and she said, no, we believe in healing. And she said, as if, as if the Lord whispered to her heart, then you better fight. And it made Joy realize at that time, and she, she began to look at our daughter who was six, Matthew nine, Michael was just six months old. And we went to look, she began to look at those children and she began to say, I want to be around. I, I, I want to be around. She, she was honest with me. She said, I knew you'd be okay. She said, Lord knows what you would drag up in here. I knew you would be okay. She said, but who was going to raise my kids? And she started thinking about who was going to raise. Well, what that did was it gave her a purpose. And that purpose, living, especially for her kids, gave her a purpose to begin to resist the sickness that threatened to take her life. It gave her a bigger purpose. She said, well, all of us resist sickness. Yes, sometimes. But for Joy, this was that, that extra motivation, that extra reasoning to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on this because I, I have a bigger purpose. Listen, if we understand that we have a bigger purpose, then we begin to resist the things that are beneath us. Have you ever heard a parent talk to his child and maybe the child came in, the child did something wrong, and you hear a parent say to them, this is not who you are. You are, you're a, a Clayton or you're a, a Jones or you're a, a Murphy. You're different. This is, this is beneath you. So the idea that you're, you're calling your children up to a higher standard. Well, listen, as believers, we're called up to a higher standard. We are meant to show the goodness of God. He's called us. We're his special people. We're a kingly lineage. There's something good in us. And that something good in us gives us a higher purpose and even more of a reason to resist any work of the enemy, any darkness, anything that would pull us down or harm us. There's a great example in the Bible of a man who had an extremely strong purpose. And because of that purpose, he was able to resist all the, the attacks of the enemy against his life successfully. His name is Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is interesting in the fact that he wasn't a prophet or a, a, a priest. He wasn't a, uh, he wasn't a king. He was actually, we would call him a businessman. In fact, if you look at him, he was in uh, the, the Persian capital and he had a high ranking position. It was like he was the chief of staff to the king. He was a cupbearer. But he oversaw a lot, of, had a lot of responsibility. This is the time when the nation of Israel began to leave Babylon and go back to Israel and go back to Jerusalem. And so there were the exiles were going back and he began to ask questions. 
when some people came, he, he said, Nehemiah said, he said, how is Jerusalem? And they said, oh man, it's bad. That man, the walls are broken down, they're burned, the people are, are vulnerable. And boy, this just hit Nehemiah's heart. It's interesting when God lays something on your heart, how, how that's all you can see. I mean, it's just, it was a burden and he prayed and he prayed and he actually went to the king and resigned his position and asked for permission to go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild the walls. So that, that was his mission, his, his purpose from God. And you would think, wow, isn't that great? You got a purpose from God. You got a, a higher calling. It's going to work out great. No problems. No, there's always problems. Someone was, we were talking the other day and they were talking about something that had happened in their family. And it's just like, man, we were doing everything right. And I said, well, there's only really two times it seemed like the enemy attacks us is when we're doing everything wrong. And when we're doing everything right, we've got an enemy and he's an adversary. And here's Nehemiah. He's trying to do all the right things, but don't expect everybody to be happy about it. And he had some enemies and they had some strategies against him. Let's look here in the book of Nehemiah. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it. Though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. The Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. That sounds like a bad place. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Then Samballot sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Then I sent to him, and the open letter had a bunch of lies, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Sounds like half of the media in the United States. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O oh God, strengthen my hands. You know, you know I, just, I just talked about our media, but guys, you have to understand this. The enemy is still the enemy and he still tries the same stuff and he still tries the same lies. But here was Nehemiah. He's, he's, he's working, he's busy. He's building a wall. It's getting built. God's moving. Great things are happening. And he has an enemy. An enemy kept giving him an invitation to come down into the plains of Ono. That sounds just like the enemy. Oh no, is not where you want to go. And he's and this, he keeps getting this invitation. And I, what I think is interesting is, and it keeps coming. Four times it came. Four times Nehemiah answered it. No, I'm, I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to do it. And what you see, though, is Nehemiah is not just going, no, I don't like you. No, I don't want to go with you. Nehemiah says, basically, I've got a better purpose than this. I'm here to build these walls. I'm here to do something that's helping God's people. He had tied in to God's purpose. And with God's purpose, he doesn't have time to do something that's counterproductive. He doesn't have time to do it. I've got something I'm focused on. He's saying, I don't have time to come down and deal with you. And there's, boy, there's, a, there's, a real, there's a real truth to that. Because anytime the enemy is trying to get us to do something other than God's will, he's really trying to get us to come down from a good place to a bad place. And with, with Nehemiah, he, he recognized that. Then the enemy came and created a bunch of lies and said, we're going to go tell the king. And, and Nehemiah said, no, 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 no. He said, you're inventing this stuff in your own heart. These are lies. 
And so he recognized the invitation to stop doing it. He recognized the lies of the enemy. Nehemiah also recognized one other thing. He recognized the impact of fear. And he said, no, no, no. Fear, he said, will weaken. They want to weaken our hands. So in other words, fear weakens you, especially from doing what God's called us to do, to be his representatives, to, 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 to show his goodness. And fear weakens us. And he said, they'll stop progress. The work won't get done. Then Nehemiah prayed, just a very simple prayer. He said, oh Lord, strengthen my hands. What a great prayer. Simple, to the point. Strengthen my hands so that I can continue to resist this and do what you've asked me to do. Interesting point. I'm going to talk about it a little bit in a second. He answered, he answered the enemy every time. Didn't ignore him. He answered him. Now, what are some purpose-built strategies for you? What are purpose-built strategies for me? I want to give you something today that I think will really bless you and help you. And it's this. We have to tie in to God's purpose for our life. Now, don't change the channel. But oftentimes when you begin to talk like that, people will begin to go, well, Alan, that's easy for you. You know, you're a pastor. You have a purpose. It's easy to tie that into God. No, I'm going to give you something today that is a purpose that applies if you're a pastor, if you're a sales rep, a manager, stay-at-home mom or dad, which there's a lot of us now. And regardless, this goes across the board. It's Paul's prayer that we see in the book of Colossians, but it defines a purpose for us. Colossians 1 says this. For this reason, Paul is, is, is saying, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I love that. Here's the, beautiful, here's the beautiful thing about that. This gives us a general purpose. It's not limited to vocation. It's not limited to giftings. It's a general purpose, and it applies whether you're a pastor or whether you're a, a worship leader or whether you're a staff member or whatever you do. Here's our purpose. We want to learn more about God. We want to be filled with his will that we could walk in a manner that's worthy of him. That we could walk in such a way that we begin to show the goodness of God to other people. The Bible said that we are fully pleasing to him. And that's something we all want to do. We just want to, we want to please God. That's a great purpose. That we would be fruitful in every good work. Listen, every good work is more than just church work. Every good work would include your marriage, your job, your family. It would include your relationships, your friendships, what you do for God. Fruitful in every good work. Your business, that's a good work. Your career, fruitful in it. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you realize that's a, that's a general purpose that applies to everybody? And here's what it does. It begins to clarify for us and help us. Here's one of the things that helps us with. One, you begin to realize that that church is not your purpose. Now, I need to qualify that because I love church. This is what I do. But I recognize that going to church is not your spiritual purpose. Church is here to help you fulfill your purpose. 
We're here to strengthen you, to encourage you, to help you. And yes, some of you find some of the things that you do for God here. And we do that at church, but your purpose is, and you can wake up every day with a purpose of God. I want to walk worthy of you. I want to please you. I want to be fruitful. I want to increase in the knowledge of you. So when I go to church, I go to church to learn, to grow, that I can get stronger, that I can fulfill my purpose more. And then does God have specific plans for you inside of that? Absolutely. But the general plan encompasses everyone. And from that position, that enables us then to begin to resist. I'm going to walk worthy of God. So I'm going to start resisting the things that would pull me down to a lower level and the things that would harm me. I'm going to begin resisting the, the dark thoughts and the negative thoughts and the fear. Because that's not, God doesn't want me afraid. I don't want you afraid. He wants us to begin to resist that fear. But here's the key. So when the negative stuff begins to come our way, we need to have an answer for it. We need to do it just what Nehemiah did. Listen, the enemy will come and he comes very subtly. He'll come with things like, you can never be a good Christian. This is never going to work for you. What makes you think that God would ever be good to you with your past? What makes you think that God would ever answer your prayers? What makes you think, so you get those subtle things or you begin to hear things like, it's always going to be this way for you. You're never going to be able to come out of this. This problem that you're dealing with, you're never going to be able to get rid of this. But I got, we have to have an answer. Nehemiah answered when they came to him. Listen, even Jesus answered the devil when the enemy came to him and tempted him. Every time Jesus had truth of God's word and he would say, no, it's written. No, it's written. No, it's written. Listen, when the, when the thoughts begin to come, you can never be forgiven. You just say, oh no, he is, he is forgiven my sins as far as the East is from the West. When the thought comes that says, you have no value, you begin to say, no, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. We, you take truth and you resist the lies. When, it, when the enemy comes and says, it's always going to be this way, you need to have an answer to say, oh no. Oh no, I've got a God with him. All things are possible and it's not always going to be that way. It's going to get better. But see what happens is we begin to understand that because we have a purpose, we have a reason to resist because I want to walk worthy. <laughs> Joy used to laugh at me because if we ever argued, which we did a lot early, if we ever argued, she said, I knew that you would always get right by Saturday night. Well, why? Because I got to preach on Sunday and you can't preach with a convicted, heavy, guilty heart. And so Saturday night, she said, you could set your clock by. We might've been arguing all week. And Saturday night, I'd walk in, I'd go, um, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Usually it was my fault. Still is. But I would say, I'm sorry. Why? Because I wanted to get things right. Why? Because my purpose was I knew I had to stand up and preach. So my purpose gave me a reason to resist the fact that I'd just been a selfish guy and somewhat of a jerk for a while. And so it gave me a reason. That's certainly not walking worthy of the Lord. And so it gave me a reason to resist it. Make an adjustment. Purpose gives us a reason to resist. Now, if you're reading, you're hearing this and you go, yeah, Alan, I really wish I, I, I could get there. I, I really wish, you know, but I'm just not that good of a Christian. One, you need to resist that thought. Jesus paid an awesome price for you. Same he paid for me. And it's real, the level, the, the ground's level at the cross. So just stop with that. But here's another thing. Recognize that God will help you. 
There have been times I have, I sat, I've sat down in my chair and I just told the Lord, I am not thinking good about this. I am not having good thoughts here. And you think, I don't know if I'd want to tell the Lord that. Well, it's not going to surprise him. He already knows this, but I got good news for you. He's not repulsed by it. He's not disgusted by it. Look at this verse in Hebrews. It's wonderful. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Oh man, I love that. It didn't say we don't have a high priest who is disgusted with us, who is rejected, who, who rejects us, who, who looks at us and goes, okay, come in here. He understands. And so when you're going through something, we can pray just like Nehemiah prayed. Lord, I am dealing with some thoughts that are really causing problems in my family. I'm dealing with some addictions that are really causing problems. God, I'm just dealing with this sense of fear and dread that's messing with my life. I need your help. Lord, strengthen my hands. He's not going to reject you. We've got a wonderful Savior. And the very, in fact, the very next verse says, so let's come boldly to the throne of grace we could obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, our resisting is not done in a vacuum. We've got the Holy Spirit, we've got God's word, and we've got his help. And that's a wonderful thing. In the mid-18th century, 19th century, excuse me, in, in Russia, there was a, a, a pastor, a priest, his name was Father John Sergiev. And Father John was different from every other priest in that area. Most of the, of the clergy had gone inside. They weren't out reaching a, a, a Russia that was just beginning to implode. And the, the alcoholism, the crime, the prostitution, it, it, was, it, it was rampant. Every day they said Father John Sergiev would put his priestly robes on and he would go to the meanest parts of town and he would find some of the most broken, despondent people and he, and he would cup their, their face in his big hands and look at them so they were looking at him directly. And he would say, this, speaking of this life that we were living, he said, this is beneath your dignity. He said, you were meant to house the glory of God. And they said everywhere that Father John went, revival followed. Why? Because he began to tell people what their purpose could be in God. Do you know you were meant to walk worthy, meant to show the goodness of God, meant to be fruitful in everything you do. You were meant for this. So we resist the things that are beneath us, beneath our God-called position and purpose. And that changes everything. If you've been listening to me and you realize that you don't have a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ, we're going to say a prayer and this will be your opportunity to receive him. If you're listening to me and you say, you know, Alan, I used to, I used to walk with God, had a relationship with God. I've gotten away. Well, this prayer is for you. If you're by yourself, please pray it out loud. If you're, if you're with others, you can pray it quietly. Or pray this prayer with us. It's a powerful prayer. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. 
So right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Father, thank you for those who prayed that prayer. And Father, for those who have come out of darkness into your marvelous light, I thank you for that. Filled with your goodness, filled with purpose. Thank you for restoration. Thank you for the new birth. Thank you for all the things that you do for us. And for those of us who, who love you, who know you, who followed you, who may be struggling right now, I thank you, Father, that there's a purpose in them resisting. You've called, called us all to so much better. Thank you. You've given us the ability, the power, the strength to resist. And where we're weak, Lord, strengthen our hands. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.